Welcome and thank you for joining us on Birth Mother Matters in Adoption with Kelly Rourke Scary and me, Ron Rains, where we delve into the issues of adoption from every angle of the adoption triad. Do what's best for your kid and for yourself because if you can't take care of yourself, you're definitely not going to be able to take care of that kid and that's not fair. And I know that my daughter will be well taken care of with them. Don't have an abortion. Give this child a chance. All I could think about was needing to save my son. My name is Kelly Rourke-Scary. I am the executive director, president, and co-founder of Building Arizona Families Adoption Agency, the Donna K. Evans Foundation, and creator of the You Before Me campaign. I have a bachelor's degree in family studies and human development and a master's degree in education with an emphasis in school counseling. I was adopted at the age of three days, born to a teen birth mother, raised in a closed adoption, and reunited with my birth mother in 2007. I have worked in the adoption field for over 15 years. And I'm Ron Raines. I've worked in radio since 1999. I was the co-host of two successful morning shows in Prescott, Arizona. Now I work for my wife, who's an adoption attorney, and I'm able to combine these two great passions and share them on this podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure to rate and review us on whatever platform you use to listen to us and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Look for AZ Adopt Podcast. Today on Birth Mother Matters in Adoption, we're talking with Angie and hearing her story about being an adoptive mother of three children from Russia. She'll be sharing her unique perspectives on international adoptions and her advice for those interested in or going through the international adoption process. So Angie, thank you so much for joining us today on our podcast, and I'm excited for our listeners to uh, hear your story and teach us all more about the inside aspect of international adoption, what it feels like to be an internationally adoptive mom. And so why don't you start off with just telling us your story? Well, thank you very much for having me. My husband, Scott, and I adopted our three children. They're a sibling group. Um, from Russia in April of 2003. We brought them home. Uh, They were seven, nine, and 10 years old when we brought them home. Well, we'd actually started the adoption process before we met our kids, and we had actually had a first home study visit. We were a little discouraged by the things that the home study social worker had said. So we had put the whole process on hold, and a friend of my husband's um, was involved with um, hosting children from Russia, older children from Russia, with uh, they would host them and bring them to the United States, thinking that if people had a chance to meet them because they were older children, that they might have a better chance of being adopted. And so our three children were actually brought over here um, as part of the hosting program. And the family that originally was agreed to host them would only agree to host the youngest and didn't want the older two. And so the, the, our youngest went with them and the youngest, our older two Uh, didn't have a family to host them. And so they had approached my husband's friend asking if he and his ex-wife would be willing to host them while they were here. And so he agreed and he knew that Scott and I had been looking into adoption. So he called Scott and said, would you like to meet some kids? And so Scott met them first. And then we decided on a Sunday to, uh, for both of us to meet the children. And by then the host family had given up our youngest as well. They didn't decided they didn't want her either. So we went over to my uh, husband's friend's house and we met the three children. And uh, we, we ended up in the swimming pool in our clothes because the kids wanted to go swimming and it wasn't something we were planning on. 
And while we were in the pool with the kids, uh, my husband's friend came out with the phone and he covered it up and said, I have the adoption agency on the phone. Do you want them? And so Scott and I said, well, can we have a day to think about it? And so we went home, um, talked about it on Sunday night. And on Monday, we said that we decided that we would take them. So we called and said, yes, we will take them. And so Scott brought them home with him on Tuesday from work. And they stayed with us for six days until they had to go back to Russia. So then once they went back to Russia, then the process began of us hurrying up and scrambling to get homes, to get our home study done and to get all of the dossier paperwork done so that we could actually bring the kids, adopt the kids and bring them home from Russia. So we started that in August and in March, we went to Russia to do the court hearing. And like I said, at the very, like April 2nd, we brought them home. So that's kind of how the universe came to bring us we weren't planning on adopting three children um but they were a sibling group and we we both agreed that you cannot split siblings up so it was all or none so we we decided to just do the crash course parenting apparently and did all three at the same time so like i said that's how the children came to be with us and i firmly believe that uh, there are parents for every child And sometimes you just have to be patient to figure out which of those children are meant to be yours. Because like I said, we were not looking at a sibling group. We were not looking for an infant, but we were, we were open to a three or a four-year-old. That's what we were looking for. And we ended up with a sibling group that included a seven, nine and a 10-year-old. I'm sure the first thing that, that as I hear your story again, and I, and I've obviously heard it before, but that is, that pops into my mind and probably many other people's minds as well as. What was that like bringing a seven, nine and 10 year old home when you didn't speak Russian, correct? No. And I'm assuming they didn't speak English. They did not. And so what was that like? Very interesting. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It was, it was, it was pretty wild. Um, You know, especially when you adopt internationally and you get back. And everybody's on a, you know, the, the kids, especially they're in a different time zone. So the first day that we, we were home, our kids all got up at two o'clock in the morning, ready to go. And we're, we're, you know, we're, we're exhausted. And, you know, at two in the morning, they're up and ready to go and we're trying to function. And like I said, it, it's very interesting. Um, you know, uh, nobody to this day will play charades with me because you learned to, use hand signals and motions to speak to the children. Uh, That was kind of all that was open in the beginning is, you know, acting things out, showing them. Uh, But uh, honestly, they were amazing. I mean, they, they were sponges and, you know, they, our oldest daughter taught herself to read that summer because she wanted to know how to read. Um, Our son for a while there was able to translate back and forth between English and Russian, certain things for his sisters but the, the language barrier, you know, it definitely adds a different dimension to adopting older children. You have to, you know, you're dealing with becoming a family and learning about each other, but you don't share a language to do that with. We did have someone, actually, my husband's barber was Russian and he spoke, he was able to translate. And after the kids had been home for for a, a couple of months, we actually had met him, had him come over and do some translation for us. And we came to discover that we had a cheat sheet with some basic 
words and the phonetic, how to pronounce them. So please, thank you. Are you hurt? Those types of things. Um, It's, you know, dinner, lunch, those types of things. And we had those words and I had taken Spanish in college and had been taught how to roll my R's and you roll your R's in Russian as well. And so when I said some of the words and, and in having my husband's barber translate, our kids thought that I spoke Russian but was refusing to speak it to them. So they thought that I had these skills and I was refusing to do it. And so they were kind of frustrated with me and we had to have him explain, I don't speak Russian. I speak some words off of a cheat sheet. So that was, that was interesting. And that's something I definitely recommend for anyone adopting internationally is, is be prepared for the language barrier. If you are able to learn to speak um, some of the language, that's great. I know that, you know, there are families that you know adopt from Haiti that learn to speak some French Creole before they bring their children home. Or, and if not, then find someone that can do that for you, especially with older kids. Find someone who can translate for you that you can call on the phone or that you can have come over, because that's that's huge when there's misunderstandings and there's no way to relay the way that they're feeling. You know, telling them that you know when they're when they're thirsty that it's okay for them to go get a drink things like that, because there's no way to explain those things to them. And so that's, that's one of the things that I would highly recommend for people is, is be prepared for that language barrier, because it's, it's quite interesting at the beginning. Um, the, when the kids went to school, our youngest had never been to school before. And it was about a week before the teacher was asking, um, how do I say sit down in Russian? <laughs> I'm like, well, let me tell you, here's how you say sit down. Here's how you say stop that. Uh, <laughs> because she's in school and, and she's just doing her thing and there's no way to, to make her understand that, you know, we need to sit down now, we need to do these things. So definitely something to be prepared for. The language barrier does fascinate me and it makes me wonder, like, how long was that process of, of teaching them English and you learning, like, how much Russian do you know now, for instance? Honestly, just basically what was on that sheet, um, I didn't, wasn't able to learn to speak Russian. Mm -hmm. Uh, So basically just whatever I knew then. Um, The kids, like you said, the kids were sponges. And especially once they were in school, they really wanted to be able to talk to their friends, to their classmates. So they picked it up really, really quickly. Um, Like I said, probably by the, you know, by the next school year, they were, you know, they were able to communicate and those types of things. And um you know, and it's funny, the the retention is, it's kind of like by the age of my children, my oldest, because of they don't start in school in Russia till they're seven. So my oldest had been taught to read and write in Russian. So out of the three kids, she has retained the most like if you're watching a movie and people are speaking in Russian, she can still pick up enough to tell you what they're saying. Um, our son had learned to speak in Russian, but hadn't been taught to necessarily to 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 a lot of reading and writing in Russian. So his is a little less. And then my youngest had never been to school. So it was just the spoken language. So, but as, as adults, I know that our two daughters have actually, um, you know, done some online lessons and those types of things to try to pick the Russian back up because they would really like to be able to speak it again. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've always told them that that was your first language, which means your brain developed with that as your first language. So even though you may not remember a lot of it, when you go back, your brain's still going to remember 
that was your first language, it'll be easier for you to pick it up. Like for them to pick it up would be much easier than for me to try and pick it up. And Russia just has an an added layer in the fact that they use a different alphabet. They use the Cyrillic alphabet. So they don't even use the same alphabet as we do. So there are certain letters in Russian that look like letters in English, but make completely different sounds. So that was interesting when they learned to read, it was interesting for, especially for our oldest daughter to make that adaptation to the fact that this is a letter I know or that I knew, but now it makes a new sound. So, and as far as, you know, as accents go, our oldest still has a little bit of an accent. There's certain words she says where you can still hear it, but my youngest, uh, n- not really. Uh, there was, you know, yeah. So, because she was so young when she came. I'm curious in talking with adoptive families, one of the hardest aspects of the adoption process is the waiting. You know, when, whether you're matched with, you know, a birth mother and you're waiting for the baby to be born or you are matched with a child internationally and you're waiting to bring the child home. How did you get through that time frame, that waiting period? And what did you do to prepare for three children? The waiting is definitely very, very hard. Um, you know, we, we sent the kids back to Russia in August and couldn't go get them until March. And that was really hard. I look at some adoptive families now and they're waiting, they're waiting over 12 months, sometimes 24 months. And it's, it's really, really hard, especially when you've been matched and you know who your children are, or, you know, at least seen a picture, have seen some basic information, maybe seen a video. The waiting is really hard. I feel like in a certain sense, we were a little bit fortunate in the fact that we had to hurry up and get everything ready to go get them. So we were busy doing our home study and getting our dossier ready. But, you know, we would get letters from them from time to time. And are you coming to get us? We cry every day waiting for you. Uh, Those types of things. That was really, really hard. How do you send a letter and reassure them that, yes, you are coming, that you, you will come and get them? They're children in another country. How do they really know that you're actually going to follow through and come to get them? You have to really rely on each other as a couple, as spouses, having people to talk to and share that with family members, my parents, my, my siblings, you know, to have somebody to, to just sometimes just to vent to or to talk to somebody that will listen and say, you know, I'm sorry, or just to say, hey, I'm here. But we recommend people that are in for the long way, you know, find, take some classes, find a hobby, do something to where that's not all you're focused on all the time. And as far as preparing goes, that's the one thing where I really feel that with our adoption, we were not well prepared. They did not require the education hours when we adopted our kids. And that to me was was one of the hardest things and made our process so much more difficult than it has to be. That's one thing I would recommend to people, educate yourself. There are so many classes and online webinars, things that you can be doing, books that you can be reading. We were, we were just completely unprepared for what older child adoption meant. And like I said, that's one thing I would definitely recommend to people so that you understand, especially take some trauma, trauma, trauma informed care classes. I have taken some just within the past few years. My kids are all young adults and they're all out of the house now. And every time I take one of those classes, all I can say, and I'll say it to anybody who will listen to me, I wish we'd have had this before we adopted our kids. To know, to meet them where they are, to understand where they're coming from, because it can feel so personal at times, but it's not. It's coming from a place of trauma 
Um, it's, you know, like I said, it's the ability to meet your kids where they are. You may have a seven-year-old who acts like a three-year-old and it's hard sometimes to, to understand where they're coming from and to recognize that they're not acting like a three-year-old to, to be naughty or to try you, but that's really developmentally where they are or where they need to be. There are gaps in their childhood that things that they never got that they need to do as part of their development. And it's really hard and it's so helpful to understand where they're coming from, especially because other people from the outside looking in, especially when you're out in public or out with other people, they're looking at your seven-year-old going, what a brat. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You have no idea where this child came from. This child spent four years in an orphanage, which is, you know, they do the best they can, but it's not a good standard of care. They were taken away from their birth family. And so that's one thing, like I said, I would really recommend to people, educate yourself. There's all kinds of things out there and a great way to spend the time and a great way to prepare for when you bring, you actually bring your child home and what was a hope and a dream becomes a reality. When they first came over, what was the one thing that surprised you the most? In other words, was it that all they wanted to eat was McDonald's maybe, or Toys R Us was just absolutely like heaven on earth? Or what was the one thing that you were like, wow, I wasn't expecting that? I think the different life experience they had had in rural Russia, when we brought them home, they had only been in a car twice. A parking lot was a completely foreign concept to them. We, you know, you've got a seven, nine and a 10 year old that you're holding on to like a two or three year old that's going to run out in front of a car because they literally would step out in front of a car. They had no concept of what a parking lot was to look, to see (laughs) where they were going. Um, You know, they, you know, we learned later, they didn't have running water. And I guess just, you just forget about those things. My oldest daughter knows how to milk a cow. You know, I brought home a 10 year old who knows how to milk a cow by hand. And I'm like, so that was just those, those differences and acknowledging a grocery store. I mean, you had to be very careful when you took them to the store because it was like waiting for their heads to explode a grocery store and the fruits and the vegetables everywhere. And we took them to the Disney store to pick out their first Halloween costume. And at a certain point we were like, okay, whatever they have, we're done. We've got to get out of here. They're not going to make it much longer here <laughs> because everybody knows who Mickey Mouse is. So the Disney store was just like, Oh, it was, it was just this wonderful place and all of these toys and all of these things. And so that was one of the, the most surprising things. Um, we live cl- live close to Luke Air Force Base, and when the jets would go over, they would think it was a thunderstorm, and they were terrified. And you just forget about some of these things that you just accept as as normal life. And this was just not a life that they had had. Our our oldest remembered one one winter when one of their pigs had had piglets late in the season, and it was too close to winter time, so the piglets lived the entire w- winter in the house with them. And it's just things like that. That was one of the most surprising things. And the thing I had to remind myself of of the most is what are they thinking and what are they experiencing right now that I'm kind of forgetting about? Um, The first time my husband took out a knife to chop up vegetables, they all ran screaming out of the room and were like, um, you know, what's wrong? And they're like, 
well, there used to be people that used to come for my grandpa and they used to knock on the door and yell for him to come out and they would stick, stab a knife in the door. And you're like, wow, I, you know, just things like that. We have to stop and think they've had a very different experience growing up than, than even I had at my age was so different than what the experience that they had had. It was, so that was one of the things that was the most shocking. And then, yeah, the food, it was interesting. They hated pizza. They hated pizza. I, you'd say, do you want pizza? And they'd all yell, no, they hated pizza. But, you know, it was great. Part of it was great though. They loved fruits and vegetables. Never had to, never had to fight with my kids to eat fruits and vegetables. They loved them. Um, They just, I think they had maybe had a banana once or twice and, and they just thought bananas were the most amazing thing. And it was great. Like I said, I didn't have to fight with them to get to eat them to eat their fruits and vegetables. They, they thought it was wonderful that they could grab an apple or have whatever they wanted. I'm like, woohoo. <laughs> of course, then we introduced them to things like ice cream, which they had never had. And, you know, then it was all kind of downhill from there for junk food. And they always loved French fries. I mean, I guess that's universal too. all children love French fries. <laughs> so yeah, so that was, like I said, that was just, like I said, having to remind myself that what they're experiencing right now may be very different than what I think they're experiencing right now. So I need to stop and slow down. And, and when they have that reaction, I need to try and figure out, well, why are, why are they reacting that way? And then go, oh, because, you know, they've not experienced the things that we've experienced. With everything you know now, would you tell yourself anything different? Like, what would you say? Would you... Would you give yourself like encouragement, like you got this, it's going to turn out fine. Or would you say, you know what, be, go easier on yourself. Like you're doing the best you can, or what, what would you, what would you say? Oh yeah. I would absolutely, I guess I would remind myself that some of the things that you thought about yourself and what you were doing, yes, to give yourself some grace and, and to say that, yes, it is going to be okay. And you're going to get through this. And I think more than anything, what you're feeling is normal. I, I think that was one of the hardest things was you feel or experience things and you think, oh, it's terrible that I feel that way, or it's terrible that I'm thinking that way, but that it's normal. And to give yourself, to allow yourself to, to, to feel that way and to say, you know, because my husband and I would look at each other and go, oh, my gosh, this is this is so hard or this was so terrible. And then feel like, well, but we can't say that to anybody because then they're going to think that, you know, that we don't love the kids or that, you know, that we're horrible parents. But to say that, yes, that is OK. And that all parents go through certain things. It, it's not yeah. just adoptive parents. And and to, yes, absolutely. To give yourself some grace and, you know, to to understand that, yes, you're going to make mistakes, but you just do the best that you can and you learn from them and you move on. And sometimes I think, I think, especially sometimes with adoptive parents, you have to do so much work to get there, to, to, to bring them into your home, the paperwork, the home study, people evaluating you at every turn. That I think sometimes you feel like you should be holding yourself to this impossible standard when you need to let yourself be a parent and, and, and everything that comes with that. And my mom used to tell me too, you know, Hey, that's, that's parenting what you're experiencing. I felt that too. And it, it's okay. Like you said, you're going to make mistakes. You know, every parent makes mistakes, but just like I said, learn from them and do better the next time and, and, and pick up the pieces and, and move on. And, and to, 
allow yourself to be a parent because there'll be a lot of people that make you feel like, well, maybe I shouldn't speak up or maybe I shouldn't say something or, you know, especially with my kids, they were so much older and be told that, well, that's, I, you know, would have sometimes, you know, would have people say, well, they shouldn't feel that way. And other kids their age don't feel that way. Well, that's too bad. My child does. My child's experience is different. So you're not going to lump my children all into the same category. But that empowerment to stand up for your children, because some people will make you feel like maybe you're not supposed to be doing those things. So yes, absolutely. Um, be kind to yourself. <laughs> and, you know, and that's the other thing, too, is to take some time for yourself, you know, plan for that plan to have somebody that can that can watch your children or even take turns with your spouse, you know, give yourself a break, go do something, you know, leave the kids with, with, with your spouse and go do something that you enjoy. That's relaxing, go out to lunch, go meet someone, go shopping, whatever it is, but give yourself a break from time to time, because that's really, really important too. You can't take care of your children. If you can't care for yourself first, you have to be at a place where you are fully present and able to be there for your children. So be sure that you plan for that as well. One question that I I have heard from a lot of people, and it's an area that a lot of people don't like to talk about because they don't want to face reality. In your opinion, what do you think the true average length of time is from the time the children are walk through your front door for the first time to the time you truly felt bonded and solidified as a family? Because it take they say it can take years and years. So what do you think is, is a reasonable expectation for families who are adopting internationally older children? A couple of years. Absolutely. I mean, I loved my children from, from the moment that, that, you know, that we were placed with them. I, I, I've, I loved them always, but to feel that true deep bond. Yes. It took a couple of years. You, when you adopt older children, you're all people in your own right. Um, a lot of who your children are has been, you know, th- th- it's formed. They are, they are, you know, fully formed people. And while there are things that you can work on, you all have to learn who the other person is and to accept the other person. And when you're doing that, it takes a couple of years for, for there to be a bond. Um, I always, I always feel like some people feel like you're going to bring your children home. The Hallelujah Chorus is going to sing. Everybody's going to be bonded and we're just going to be one big happy family. And it just doesn't work that way. That's why we like to say adoption is a process. It is not an event. It's learning about each other and coming together as a family, learning what things can be changed and what things you just have to accept about the other person. And so, yes, I would say, yes, please give yourselves a couple of years. Now, does it happen quicker for some people? Absolutely. But I think with older kids, you've got to give yourself the chance for that to happen. And, and you'll know it when it does. And it, it does feel amazing, but it, it does take time. And so, yes, absolutely. Give yourselves at least a couple of years. So let's, and I can tell you that I know I have about a dozen more questions and I'm sure Ron, you do too. So we, I actually would love for you to come back so we can kind of dive in even deeper if you'd be willing to do so. But I would like to, to close with either the funniest story that happened um, during the, you know, when you brought the kids home or the happiest memory. Oh, there's just, there's so many little, little things. I, yeah, 
I, you know, cause that's what so many people think about older child adoption is you miss out on all their first and you just, you don't, they're just different kinds of first. The first time you take them to Disneyland and watching their faces just light up. Um, you know, the first Christmas when they walk into the room and there's all those presents under the tree for them. Ah, oh, I'm just trying to think here. Um, I've got a really sweet story. My youngest daughter, like I said, she's got the least memories of her time in Russia probably, but my dad was here. And I have, I'd always talk to the kids about the fact that um, I have the same hands as my dad. And so we're sitting eating ice cream and my youngest daughter turns to my dad and says, see grandpa, she holds up her hand. I've got hands just like you. And it just was the sweetest thing that, you know, in her mind, there was no connection that there was no biology there. She didn't get her hands from my dad or from me, but there was that connection. That was one of those bonding moments where you're like, we have arrived. She's safe. She's secure. And she really, really feels like she's part of this family. So that's, that's one of the sweetest stories. It still, still makes me want to cry when I think about it, you know, just, just little things like that. When you just know that, like you said, that that bond is there and that your child feels safe and they really feel like you're, they're part of your family. Uh, With my oldest daughter, it was, she, she loved the twilight books. So she read a lot about vampires and, she came to me once and said, I had a bad dream last night, mom. And I said, I'm so sorry. I said, what was it about? And she's like, there were vampires and they were at the door and they were coming into the house and they were going to get me. But then you came and you took care of them all. And I'm like, oh, I finally arrived with you too. You see me as someone who would come and save you and protect you. Uh, you see me as your mom. And that was just profound from a nightmare to that profound knowledge that I truly am your mom in, in all of the most important senses of the word. Those are amazing. And like I said, thank you so much for sharing and opening up your heart and letting everybody listen to your story. And I would love to have you back on because um, Ron and I, I, I can tell you have a million more questions. And I think that people who are beginning the international adoption process can really learn a lot from you and your story and how candid you are. So I hope you'll be willing to come back and and talk with us again, but thank you so much for coming. Uh, Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me and I would love to come back again. This is truly my heart's calling is that there are just so many children out there waiting for a mom and a dad and a family. We have a pregnancy crisis hotline available 24-7 by phone or text at 623-695-4112, or you can reach us on our toll-free number at 1-800-340-9665. We can make an immediate appointment with you to get you to a safe place, provide food and clothing, and help you get started on creating an Arizona adoption plan, or just give you more information. Check out our blogs on our website at azpregnancyhelp.com and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by looking for AZ Adopt Podcast. 
If you enjoy this podcast, make sure to rate and review us on whatever platform you use to listen to us. Birth Mother Matters and Adoption was written and produced by Kelly Rourke Scary and edited by me. Thanks go out to Grapes for letting us use their song, I Don't Know, as our theme song. Join us next time on Birth Mother Matters and Adoption. For Kelly Rourke Scary, I'm Ron Rains, and we'll see you then. 